It's Overexposed, the film photography podcast with me, Sasquatch Mansfield. We took, you know, a little sabbatical, a little hiatus, but we're back. Darcy Benincosa joins me in conversation. She's a uh, wedding photographer, uh, podcaster, a success coach, a brand and marketing ninja. She's quite smart and she drops the mic a lot. Um, so just sit tight and enjoy all the truth bombs that she's about to explode on you. Darcy, this is such a joy for me to have you on. Thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. You and I have always like ships in the night, rarely connecting at, at conferences, but I've always just felt your spirit and I've really wanted to get to know you better. So I'm very excited that you asked me on. That's wonderful. Yeah. Um, I, I always, especially in conferences, I try to give people space because I know especially speakers and things like that. I don't, I know that you're getting bombarded with other people. And yeah. So I just, I just want to, you know, we'll, we'll connect at some point. <laughs> well, and you we were are. very helpful. I know there was one, I think it was the first one. You just like ran every errand for me helping. And <laughs> that, that's the way to show up in life. I really, I really admire that. I, oh. I love doing that too. So. Well, thank you. Um, you, you have a, um, How's your remodel going? The remodel is teaching me more about being Zen <laughs> than yeah. anything. It's a really interesting place. I'm going to be super feminist for a minute or just normal feminist uh, to remodel and be the only person. Like there's not a, a husband involved mm. and to work with only men. Like there, mm. I keep trying to find women in construction and there are none hardly. I mean, there's not in Utah. I remember I was getting a kitchen cabinet quote. This is not the man I went with, but uh, he kind of got the quote and we were talking about it. He's like, okay, so I just need to talk to your husband then. And I'm like, "Uh," I was really curious. I was like, why? And he goes, well, to get the deposit check. And I... I literally looked at him and said, did we just time travel back to 1945? <laughs> and he goes, what? I'm like, do you realize what you just asked? Yeah. And I'm like, where in this picture have you seen a man that's going to be handing you some check? <clears throat> There's a lot of communication issues. I feel like I'm in a marriage with like seven men <laughs> and I don't like it. This is why I'm not married. It's like the contractor will say one thing and then the cabinet guy blames it on the contractor and then the contractor oh, yeah. blames it on the cabinet guy. And then the, and then you have the third party who just comes in and installs and then he cuts something wrong and didn't talk. So it's, it's, so it's interesting. It's a lot of work and it's a lot of emotion and uh, it makes me want to like, take up an addictive thing like smoking or drinking. <laughs> <laughs> like last night, I just had to do some Wim Hof breathing because oh, yes. there was a major mistake made, like major, mm. whereas we might have to take the cabinets all out again, which had just spent three days being put in because they oh, were cut gosh. all wrong. So yeah. Oh, my lawn people are here. So if oh. you hear a lawnmower, we'll just roll with it. Yeah. <laughs> That's how we do. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I so I worked um, on a fifteen million dollar penthouse remodel for two wow. years. Wow! Whoa! And it's the amount of blame that goes. Were you, you know, living in the penthouse and hiring people out, or were you doing the work? Oh, I was doing the work. I do okay. not have a fifteen million. I don't know. I, I don't know that your you, story. I don't I, know what you're going to attract into <laughs> your life. <laughs> I, <laughs> 
Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> No, no, I meet people with incredible stories. <laughs> yeah, no, I was I was doing the work. Um, I was I was so they had a whole bunch of brass, like everything was brass, everything. Yeah, and I was doing all the brass work, and um, yeah, it's just everybody blames someone else for their mistakes, and the posture that I took was, yeah, that's a mistake over here, but I can account for it, or you know, whatever. Like, why why blame each other? It it gets you nowhere. It gets you nowhere. Yeah. Well, more power to you. I, I'm, I'm. I know that's incredibly difficult from like the, um, from the hiring side, because yeah. not all not all contractors are honest. You know, and everything I'm learning uh, is helping me. So I, I'm going to build another house. Like I'll build a huge, big French farmhouse or all, I know I'm going to, I just live a life of a remodeler because I yeah. love buying beautiful homes and then fixing them up. It's just yeah. something that's in my blood that I've done since I was little. Yeah. I am so well, sorry. No, it's okay. This <laughs> he is, will go outside in like three minutes. You know, it's okay. It's, it's kind of part of life. It really and, is. And that's, that's part of what this is, is just embracing. Like sometimes my kids will come in. I'm in, we have a, a school bus in our backyard. Someone gave I, me a school I bus. I am looking that you're in a school bus. That's yeah. pretty awesome. <laughs> and uh, my wife's an oil painter. And so um, I made this for her studio. But then I lost my job due to COVID. And so it's my office now. Nice. Uh, That's yeah. a pretty sweet office. Yeah, it's pretty good. But sometimes I love that kids she's an in. oil painter. That's amazing. Yeah. Oh, she's, she's quite great. Oh, I need to commission her for a portrait for of my niece. My grandmother was an oil painter. Oh, okay. And when she passed away, I got all her paintbrushes, which is oh. very special to me because yeah. I started as a painter oh. and then it took so long. I, <laughs> I, I went into photography because I was yeah. like, I could create a painting-like image with film because you can when you yes. work as, with certain cameras and it'll not take as long but yeah. I love I love the foundation of painting I feel like that really gave me the foundation of photography that yeah. the style that I like yeah I I feel like so and it kind of touches on what you just spoke about photography there's this an ease to entry like mm. with painting you have to learn you know composition and uh you know light studies and all this stuff but with photography, it's very ubiquitous that we can just like, oh, here's a camera. There, I took it. You know. And so <laughs> now with the digital age, I think oh, in the film era it was a little bit trickier. But yeah, very well, much. There were point and shoot film cameras. I take oh, it back for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, but and then so I feel like the learning curve is almost reversed, right? Mm -hmm. so you have for painting, it's like really, really difficult, and then like you start to like gain some traction. And with photography, it starts really easy because you're just like, oh, yeah, aperture priority. We'll just like do this thing. Mm -hmm. And then you go, oh, this is way more complicated than anybody told me that it could be. And uh, yeah. it can be right. It can be it can be a whole lifetime study. Yeah. <laughs> I'll let really? you take it from there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think um, it can be a lifetime endeavor. Like I am still geeking out about 
different cameras. I'm mm-hmm. going to buy a new one, you know, I think in the next couple of weeks and try it out. And it, there's still always mistakes I'm making. There's still always more to learn, especially with film, but even, even with digital, you know, I, <clears throat> I do shoot digital. I'm not as inspired by it. I, I, I do it more for work, but I took the Sony with me to Morocco and it's so tiny and so compact and it felt really nice to not just have some big medium format camera with me. But sometimes when I take trips, I just try and only limit myself to one camera and see what I can do with that one camera. Mm -hmm. I just took a trip to Montana and I only took my huge Polaroid camera. I mean, I have my iPhone, you know, to take whatever Insta stories and all that good stuff that we now do. But um, it's really fun because every camera has its glory points. Like it has, it has its like sweet spots, especially if you mesh it with certain film and so with, the, with, with taking the Polaroid to Montana, it really made me think differently about composition than if I had my iPhone or if I had mm. my Sony with a wide lens. You know, there's a lot of different little things that I like to just give myself that space. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I think there's, there's, there's such a, um, I don't know, there's a little bit of a mystique of, like, like you were saying, finding that sweet spot is is really kind of a kind of a fun journey and endeavor whenever you get a new camera. I think like, so. Yeah, especially if you can take it with no pressure of um having to produce something that somebody's paying for. Yeah. And yeah. you can just take it out on with yourself into nature or find people who are subjects, you know, I was in this little Montana town and um it's just fun to see people walk down the road. I mean, obviously you want to protect, you know, privacy and stuff. But I feel like if I'm far enough away and it's this person or, you know, when I moved to Paris, I just had this little point and shoot camera. And back in those days, the olden days, you could just drop your 35 millimeter off. They would have it printed in an hour on this. And in Paris, they did this beautiful, like matte finish with white border. Like America was just like, here's some glossy stuff, you know? And when I saw my first film developed that way. I mean, I really just had this little point and shoot camera, but it made me feel like an artist, like a very Parisian. I was like, Oh, I'm only going to shoot black and white. And (laughs) I would go hit all these like beautiful old, um, famous street cafes because Paris is very much street cafes. And I would go to the one where Hemingway would hang out and, you know, Uh all of these midnight in Paris references. And I would kind of stand further back. So I wasn't in anybody's face, but I would just sort of wait for beautiful compositions to happen along the tables. And Mm. at the time it looks really modern. This is what I love about photography. Cause we look back, I get very inspired by, um, like 1940s Paris, you know, and we look back and we're like, oh my gosh, everything is so amazing. Look at their clothing. Look at this, look at that. And we never see that in our own day. So now this was 97. Looking back at 97 outfits, it's like, oh wow. Yeah. Okay. I totally see the evolution of where it's going. I mean, I still wish we had more glamour in the forties. You know, I'm not a big fan of low-rise jeans and things like that but (laughs) but still you're still capturing an era and you're still capturing 
something that that's one reason I think when I was a photo when I've been decided to be a photographer, I think it really came because I was a traveler and an mm. adventurer, and mm-hmm. photography just seemed like a companion because I traveled the world mostly on my own, and so just having my camera felt very I remember gosh when was it 2007 so I don't even know how old I was then I was young and I just rented this little car in Ireland and I decided to drive around the entire coast of of it because it's only the size of West Virginia like Irish people think that's crazy because they've never even been like 50 miles north out of their town I'm like (laughs) I'm from Utah like we road trip to Vegas that's seven hours you know so I was like I can do the ring of Ireland. Like I'm just going to go around the coast and it was lonely and wonderful. Mm. Yeah. I love that. Pre phone, pre stories, pre Instagram. I'm so glad I lived like a huge part of my life before that. Not that anything's wrong with it, but it's, it really does change your brain configuration And um, I'm so glad from 20 when I moved to Paris till 30, I basically, I don't even think I got a cell phone till 27. So yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. I don't look my age. (laughs) People are like, how could you do that? (laughs) Okay. The the long guys are gone. So I'm going to lock the dog up again so they can't bark at us. Okay. Okay. I'll be right back. Then okay. I can really not worry about this Pomeranian. Okay. Okay. So you went to school for painting initially? I went Is to it? school for English uh, writing, storytelling. Oh, okay. So okay. I was oh, an English okay. major, French poetry, uh, the romantics. So I would quote Wordsworth all day and memorize Shakespeare and... I think I've always been, I don't, I don't know if you believe in past lives. I don't know if I do either, but if I, (laughs) if I do, I was like Jane Austen's maid or something like I just really old England type living France. So studied stories. I took a ton of art classes, but I never thought, oh, I'll make a living as a painter. I don't really think I believed I would make a living as a writer either, but I, I did choose. I mean, I, I changed my major nine times that first year of school because I really probably should have just became an actress. (laughs) My parents were like, no, we were very Mormon. And they'd be like, if you became an actress, you would have to act in a rated R movie. And that is not allowed. So (laughs) that squelched acting, but I, I could see myself, you know, I thought, oh, I want to be a lawyer. And then I worked at a law office and I was like, no, I just want to play one on TV. Like, I just, I just want to give a powerful closing statement. And then I was like, oh, I want to do advertising. Like, um, you know, it it was before Mad Men, but I had this vision of this advertising agency, a executive. And I was like, nope, I just want to have a big fancy office in New York, but I don't want to have to deal with those kind of clients. So I just decided to do stories and do yeah. English and um, I did painting on the side and French. I knew I wanted to live in France since I was three, which is really weird because wow. neither of my parents ever talked about France. I don't really know where France came from. I don't know where I got the idea of France, but mm. at three, I remember telling my mom adamantly, like, I will live in Paris and I will live in New York. And my mom was 
like, okay. But she didn't really believe that because my parents just have always lived in Utah or Idaho. They, yeah. you know, my mom's first trip to Europe and her first time on a plane in many years was not until she was 70. And I, I wow. took her. Yeah. She just, she, that was her first passport, 70 years old. Crazy. My goodness. I know. It's that's crazy. A, one that's like amazing to me that someone can be so content. Like yeah. I'm, I'm a seven on the Enneagram. Uh huh. I don't know what I, that means. Oh, it, it just means that it means that I. Want I mean, to, I know Enneagram, but I don't yeah. remember what seven is. So seven is um, more of like the energizer kind of like fun loving. Always wants to do something different. Oh, I could see that. Life okay. of the party kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I have a trouble with like I admire people so much that they can stay in one spot for so long. Because that's not something that I can do. And so well, I really, I really admire your mother. Well, I don't think it's admiration. I don't think it was a choice. I think oh. she didn't have internet. Oh. She didn't see Instagram stories. She didn't know what those overwater bungalows look like in Fiji. Like mm. she just was taught, like we're all taught, like we all have to become deprogrammed. Mm. She was taught, she was born in 1946. So she was taught wife, mother. That's what she was taught. And then her, my dad made no money. I grew up in a home that was very poor, like to the point where we had, I remember this one time I thought it was fun. Now I look back and think, oh, we were so poor. Like my parents were like, we're going to camp in the living room and <laughs> lit a fire and we were all in sleeping bags. And I realized we had, now we had no heat and yeah. uh, we had no electricity. They couldn't pay those things. And my mom would heat up this big, she had this big pot and she would heat it up on this pot belly stove that we had. I know I sound like I'm from Little House on the Prairie. This is 1985. It's not that long. And she would, she would pour it into the bath so my sister and I could take like a warm bath or whatever, yeah. you know. And then there. we would just... All sleep in the living room where the house was warm during winter. We thought it was fun as kids. We made a blanket for, you know, yeah. that's the one good thing about my dad is he just always made everything fun, even though yeah. I'm sure as an, looking at, as an adult with all these little ragamuffin kids, he was like, how am I going to take care of these kids, you know? Yeah. So my mom, I just think never, she never allowed her brain to go to wanting things. You know, mm. she grew up on a very poor farm, one of 11 children in a three bedroom house, Whoa. having to work the farm like all the time. When her dad died, she was 16 years old. He died of cancer and the family had no money. She had been babysitting and saving up money for three years for college. And she used that money to buy his headstone. And wow. that's like what my mom did at 16 years old. She was buying my dad, my grandfather, who I never got to meet. She was buying his headstone at 16. So when we went to Europe the first time, she was 70. We went to Wales and that's where my grandfather's from. He was born in 1892. He was like a Picasso. So when she oh, was wow. 16, he was like 66. He, he yeah. got, oh, he was like 50 and popping out kids with a young yeah. wife, but um, go grandpa. I don't know. I never got to meet the guy. I'm sure he was interesting. <laughs> and she, I have this picture of her that I took. We went to the chapel where his mother decided to like, 
she was going to take him and go to America on this boat. And she escaped out this window of this little house. And this was the church where um, her mother was buried. And my mom was just, we didn't think it would be open. It was totally a random day in Wales in this little forgotten town. And we pushed the door and it, it opened up and we were in this little chapel alone, knowing that my great, great grandmother had sat there pondering going to America and my mom was just sitting there and my mom just started to cry and I went wow. to the front of the church and all I had was my iPhone <laughs> but I just took this beautiful photo of her just sitting there and every time I see it it like makes me cry because oh that was like my mom finally that was the one place she got to go she wanted to go was to see where her dad had come from in Wales and she looks just like her dad this coal black hair and I don't look, I look just like my German grandmother, but my mom has these very dark Welsh features and she's really mm. stunning and it was really cool. That's such a wonderful gift to give your mom. Yeah. 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 It was really good. That's so amazing. I, yeah. I lit a fire under her because now she's like, when are we going to Germany? When are we going to this? Because <laughs> I did France and England and Belgium right. and the Netherlands. Yeah. So now I get to take her to a Christmas market. We were going to go this year, but COVID. So sure. hopefully next year. Yeah, that's kind of thrown a wrench in a lot of things. I, what I love, what I love about poor parents, I grew up um, family four. Like my dad didn't make over nineteen thousand dollars a year. Wow. Um, they have to be so creative, and I think that's that's really what. Like my brother's a photographer. I'm a photographer. We just kind of are creative, mm-hmm. and think we drew a lot of that from his creativity on having fun on such a nothing budget. You know? mm-hmm. um, and yeah, I, I, I really respect people that can make things work on such a tight, tight, like financial constraint. I mean, I think it's super fun. I do these <laughs> challenges. I mean, I make a lot of money, but I really am pretty careful with it. And Sometimes, except for when it comes to remodeling, then I'm like, all oh, the bougie things. <laughs> um, yeah. But I was with a friend and she didn't have any money. And it's never fun to be the friend that another friend is paying for. And I, I'm not that friend a lot. I'm like, all right, you don't have any money. I'll just not have any money. Let's see what we can attract in New York City mm-hmm. for one week for free. Let's see what we can do in the city that costs yeah. no money or very little money. So yeah. we entered every single lottery. We won the lottery to go see the view and like it had, oh, you know, and, and that was a free thing. And we went and we were guests on, I don't know, such a random talk shows, but we're like, this is fun. Let's see what, who, what famous, we were on Regis and Kelly, but it's not Regis and Kelly anymore. It's whoever and Kelly. And oh, yeah. <laughs> we were, we, uh, we were sitting, I was sitting in this cafe and I saw this girl reading. Well, she wasn't reading. It was this book that looked like 12 Bibles in one. It, okay. it looked like something from Dumbledore's office. And I looked at her and I said, you have got to tell me what this book is. And she said, well, I'm, I went to a play tonight and they asked for a volunteer to leave before the end. And to take this book and to write what we think the ending is. And it's, it, it's been going on for years and the book is huge and has all these endings. And she goes, and then they give me two free tickets to come back tomorrow and see how it ends and then go up on stage and read my ending. It was a really, really interactional play. These are the kind oh, of things that happen off Broadway. It was an off Broadway play and I loved it. And she was visiting and she goes, you know, but I 
I don't know who to take tomorrow. And I said, do you know what I'm doing this week? I'm attracting free things. <laughs> so I would love to go with you. So we ended up becoming really good friends. So I got, and the fun thing is, is my friend, she attracted something else for that night. So I went to this play that would have cost like $180. I got in for free. I was with the girl who had the book. Like I poured over this book. I was reading some of it and she, and, and then it was so, it had magic in it. It was just a very magical thing. So Mm. we did some of the coolest badass shit that week in New York that I wouldn't have looked for had I been trying to pay for things. Mm. So I think it's really good to pretend you don't have any money. I think that's mm. when you get really scrappy, really creative. Yeah. Um, but you have to keep feeling good about it. If you go mm. into the depths of despair, yes. that's when you're lost, trapped, stuck. Um, so yeah, I, I give major props to my parents for making that a fun game for their kids, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And it, do you... I, I know you you talk about um, childhood experiences and... And how that can inhibit our our wealth cap or, or mm-hmm. whatever have you? Um, how do you how do you go about like tearing down those walls? Because for the longest time, I had this terrible mindset of, well, I'm just always going to be poor because I grew mm. up poor, and like there's mm-hmm. no way out of that. Um, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So exactly what you said, that's the downside, right? Like where, where we are, who we learn how to be, which is usually our parents or whomever raises us. It might, you know, we could have been in foster care or we might have a single parent home, or we could have been a latchkey kid that didn't really have parents who were very attentive at all. So all of that shapes how we see life. If we are, you know, every strength of, that we have usually comes from a trauma in childhood. <laughs> so mm. I'm a very independent person, which mm. I've always prized myself as really amazing. Um, I had to be. I had to start cooking my own food as a kid. My parents both worked a lot. I um, I didn't have I didn't have like, I craved, but I didn't have this like mom who stayed home and made dinner every night. Like, and I was in a neighborhood that did. I was in this Mormon neighborhood. The mom stayed home. The dads went to work. My family didn't do that. My mom worked a lot. She was, you know, that was just what happened. So, so the benefit of that, right, is, is independence. Mm -hmm. Um, Every trait has a light and a shadow side. So the light side of independence is I can go to Ireland by myself for a week with my camera and have this epic human journey of just being Darcy in Ireland and experiencing everything. The dark side is, um, I don't trust a lot of people and I have no, I'm, I'm not here now, but I was for a very long time. Like there is no way I'm going to marry a man. Like, I don't know. Marriage looks hard and difficult and ends in divorce. And I haven't found a man that I really feel like I would want to tie myself to like that. I've worked through a lot of the shadow side of independence. I've learned to trust people again. I've done a lot of therapy, a lot of different kinds of therapy, not just, you know, sit on a couch therapy type of things. Um, so, so there's those points. So one honoring where you're at, you're probably very scrappy. You don't need a lot of money to have fun. You can find adventure in anything. Like there's a lot of good things. Tony Robbins always says blame effectively. So instead of saying, I don't have any money because you mom and dad 
made me poor mindset, right? That's right. not going to get us anywhere. You can be like, thank you, mom and dad. Because of the upbringing I had, I have all these gifts. Mm-hmm. And then also realize you are not your parents. And this is where you have to start working through the subconscious mind to figure out what is your block to wealth and wealth in all things, money, relationships, time. Like I was a major overachiever, overworker, had to be busy every single second or I wasn't worth anything. That wasn't, that wasn't what I was telling myself, but it was just like Darcy achieves, Darcy gets straight A's, Darcy wins, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and that was a poverty in a way because Mm -hmm. I was not allowing myself time to like every morning now I do breath work and I cuddle with my dogs for at least a half hour, which may sound weird, but they're just so cozy and cute. And we just sit outside with a cup of tea and we look at the rose bushes and, you know, it's, it's the time that your brain needs to think about all the great things that you Mm -hmm. could create. So there's so much to unpack with how to, how to break out of what your childhood could be limiting you with, I think the very first thing, like you said, is that awareness. So you had that awareness of, oh, wow, I am actually thinking like this. Right. And in America, we all rely on our minds more than our hearts, more than listening to our bodies, the intuition that our body has, Mm -hmm. and more than our souls and spirits. Mm -hmm. And so as as one of my teachers said, the mind can solve so many problems, but it can also create so mm. many problems. And that's the gift of the mind. And most people in America live in the mind. How do I work more? How do I make more money? How do I do this? And they're ignoring their body. Like their body might be saying, I'm tired. Uh, you're overworking me. I don't like this person. Sometimes my sisters will make fun of me because the second somebody walks into the room, I'll know if I like them or not. Like my body just knows mm. like, mm, no, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> oh, this, this person has good energy. I just read energy really well. And I honor that. I don't try to convince myself that I like someone just because it's mean not to like people. Right. And that's a big story women have, especially they have to be really nice Um, And they don't listen to their intuition. Mm. So subconsciously, yeah, you'll know your blocks. If you are always dating the wrong person, if you are never charging enough, if you are um, feel like you're destined to be poor, if you have a lot of apathy about what happens to you, if you don't go after your big dreams of, you know, your dreams are never as expensive as you think. But if you're always saying things like, I can't afford that. Mm. That's not something I can do. I wish I had stuff to, you know, you have this language of poverty. That's the first Mm. place to look at is your Mm -hmm. language. And that's why it's really beneficial to have a coach because your coach will call you on that. (laughs) Your Mm. coach will say, did you understand the phrase you just said? And you won't understand it because it's in your mind. So if you have somebody who can say, hey, you just said this, what we say actually shows our beliefs. I remember a good mm. friend and I were, and I was just learning this mindset work. This is like a decade ago. And we were out for coffee and she said, you know what I say instead? And, 
And I said, what? Because I don't ever want to say I can't afford it. It doesn't mean I go out and buy everything. Right. I just don't use that phrase in my mind because I know I can figure out how to get things that I want. And she said, I use the phrase, that's for me. So when I see a beautiful relationship, I see a nice mm. car, I see um, a, a Michelin star restaurant, that's for me. That's for me. It doesn't mean you go out and you buy it all because you might not have the money yet. Right. But if you allow your brain to say, actually, I could bring that into my life. Yeah. Actually, that is for me. Actually, yeah. I am as worthy as the person who has it. Actually, I can. So it's a lot of language, but you want to not hang around with people who use that language and all of you just sit around and complain. I've been to, I have been to many conferences where people will just sit around and complain that the market is saturated and they will go off on that topic for two hours. Yeah. The market may be saturated, whatever. Acknowledging that only brings stress and worry. So why don't you ask yourself a better question instead of just like, oh, the market's so saturated. Oh, how will people book me? Oh, I wish I, I wish I could get luxury weddings like John or Katie Mary or, you know, whatever. Yeah. That is victim mentality. It's mm. very rampant in creatives because yeah. they can see very beautiful things and they can also go very dark, very fast. Yeah. And that's, um, that's the first step is hang around with people who have a positive mindset, mm. who will not sit and bitch and complain about those kinds of things and who will get creative. The question I used at the very beginning of my business to start bringing in 10K a month right when I was getting started was how can I make $10,000 this month and have fun? Yeah. And guess what? Your, your brain will find an answer. Yeah. It will. Well, and I think, I think the point is, the wonderful point of that one is, and have fun. It has I mean, to be fun. What else are we doing it? Why else do we want money? You exactly. Know? And, and, and for creatives, I think so many creatives, whenever they get into the money-making side or marketing side, their brain just shuts down into like, well, this is how it's supposed to be done. And they go into robot mode instead of using their creative brain and like intuition feeling to go, let's just have fun with this. You know? Yeah, and creatives are the best people to do that. They're way better yes. at that than accountants because they're yes. all about emotion. If they're, yeah. if they're really like, especially photographers, if they're trying to get this emotion out of their people, then they have to be good at emotion too. Generally, getting yeah. at least interacting with people, so it's way easier for creatives to make money than yeah. other businesses. I love that. I love that you say that because that is not what be, you know, I just did a shoot for um, a musician. We did like a whole bunch of music videos and, you know, some photos. Um, and he, he brought up like, yeah, you know, I don't know that I'm going to be able to make a living at this. I'm like, bro, you got to shut that shit down. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, you will. Like that. If you keep on saying that, you won't. Yeah. Like it's, it's pointless to say that. And it, just because everybody's saying it doesn't mean that it's true. It just means that people have given up on their dreams enough that it has become true. I, yeah, I was going to say, if they are saying it, it is true for them. Mm. If they are saying it, it's their truth. <laughs> mm. Because we do create our reality. We really, really do. And this is a topic that sometimes is hard to grasp or that people explain in really crazy ways. But... It's just 
your word, I read this from this lady in the 1890s. I love that she was writing books and she has this book called Your Word is Your Wand. (laughs) And basically like whatever you're saying is the magic wand of what what comes to you. So just starting with the the language you're using. Hmm? She was writing that in the 80s? 1890s. 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 That's she was even like, more impressive. Yeah. Her name's Florence Chauvel Shin. She was this little New York lady who helped people become wealthy through their thoughts. And she has, oh. it, she has this book, Your Word is Your Wand. And I, I, love, I love it. I mean, she refers a lot to the Bible in that. That's not my thing, but I get the point of it. And She's she's really scrappy. I like That's her. That's so interesting that you mentioned that because I feel like the the negative mindset that we have around money typically comes from like a Puritan or colonial aspect of mm. uh, denial of self. We should be you know you know scum. We should be you know humans are awful, and we should live a you know a life that is not extravagant or blah blah blah. Um, so it's interesting that she references the Bible in it because I feel yeah, like Yeah, actually, I, I think that is very powerful at that time because most people were Christian or something in America, like that, that Puritan upbringing. I do think a lot of people who are religious, and I was religious till I was 30, um, sometimes think it's too greedy to want money. It's too... Uh, ungodly. It's, you know, what is the phrase like you'd rather the camel goes through the eye of a needle than a rich person gets into heaven. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm curious why those are there. And I think, you know, I think people think that money could turn them into somebody different. And what Mm. I have found is that money just allows you to be more of who you are. Mm. So there are a lot of assholes without money and there are a lot of assholes with money. And sometimes we can see the assholes with money and think all rich people are assholes. It's not true. There are a lot of good people without money and there are a lot of good people with money. And the good people with money are putting that money to finding educational systems in Africa. I mean, if you look at Oprah, she's a quintessential example of not only education in Africa, but she also funds like she has this trust where every year she gives a certain amount of money to fund black men full scholarship, full rides to college. She gives so many things away. Matt Damon, he is really revolutionizing how um, clean water is being brought to different countries Mm -hmm. and and non-famous people too that make a lot of money. My own neighbors, you know, I live in a wealthy neighborhood and so many of them give. I give every month to the Utah Food Bank because I was a school teacher for 14 years and I saw how many kids we're hungry, like yeah. in Utah, in a place where we, we wouldn't think. Sometimes we think we need to send all of our money to Haiti. Right. And I'm a big believer of starting with your own community and mm. seeing the need there. Yeah. But yeah, money just makes you more of who you are. And and so you you do have to work through those ways that your brain has been programmed to think. I was just teaching, uh, I went and taught at this creative place and I, I, I was doing a keynote and um, I had them write down how much money they wanted to make a year. And one guy wrote down 300,000. I was like, he goes, but I think I kind of want to write 500,000, but I didn't want to be too greedy. And he just said that without even thinking. I said, let's take this phrase. Let's take what this thing, why you're like, that word never even comes up in my vocabulary unless there's like crumble cookies around or something that I'm like, 
extra greedy, but like, (laughs) it's not like I sit around and think I'm so greedy because I want a beautiful home or I'm so Mm -hmm. greedy because I want to travel first class or, you know, that word doesn't really exist in my body, but it did in his. And so if, Mm -hmm. if, if you don't want to be greedy and your idea of greedy means you have too much money, then you are going to keep yourself from making too much money because we don't want to become things that we don't like. Mm. So you really have to, you have to look at who your triggers are. If you get on Instagram and you're triggered by people who have nice homes or you're triggered by people with money or triggered by people with really good butts and, you know, or triggered by people like there's so many different things on there. And I just think if you're triggered by it, there's something within you that doesn't think you are allowed to have that. And I would get really curious about that. Instead of getting upset, get really curious. Like, why does this person trigger me? Your triggers Mm. are your biggest teachers. Mm. That's so good. That's so good. I mean, yeah, coming from such a, such a poor mindset and, and also my family was treated pretty poorly. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I, there's that, well, they're wealthy. Fuck them. Or they're popular or they're pretty. I was very chubby in, in junior high and I got made fun of all the time. Like truly, truly, it was a horrible time in my life. I think junior high people are the evilest people in the world. Kids are so mean. We think kids are so pure. They are, they are demons from hell, but um, (laughs) that's why I don't have any. (laughs) Um, It's, it's hard. It's hard when you're treated that way. You know, it really is. And, and that was the thing of like, I'm not popular and I don't belong. I had that story for a very long time. In fact, I, I'm 43. I didn't get rid of it until 42. Oh, wow. (laughs) 42 was when I finally realized I do belong in the sense Mm. of like, even when I go speak at these conferences, I see all the cute hipster girls and they're wearing their hats and they looks, and I'm like, I'm a great educator, but I don't really fit in. Um, I don't really fit into like the parties, like the parties stress me out. Now they don't, but Mm. they did for most of my life. And that was from like I said, trauma. Mm. And we might not think being made fun of is traumatic, but it really is, especially when you're an 11 year old kid and people are just like walking down the hallway behind you, just calling you fat names, you know, like, and I'm sure with you, it was the same thing. I'm sure you guys had some, something happen. Um, yeah, I, I don't know the people who avoid any of that. I mean, we can classify these mean girls or popular kids as never having it, but if they're dishing it out, there's no way they're not having something also exactly. affect them. But when you're a kid, you, yeah. you, you can't make sense of all no, that. No, no. Kids are dumb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Poor kids. So, I feel wh- so much empathy. <laughs> so what happened? What happened that, that led you to a year ago getting this <clears throat> revelation of acceptance of self and acceptance and like, you know, if they don't like me or think whatever... It's none of my business kind of thing. Mm, it's, it was, so that was already, I didn't care what people thought about me. That Perfect. I don't care about. That yep. happened around 30 when I left religion because mm. I really had to not care what people think because they all thought I was an evil, mm. crazy person who was turning my back on God and that I was going to follow Satan and that I was going to go to hell. And so that really happened. So I didn't care what people thought, but the decade from 30 to 40, 
I still had this thought of, I don't really belong, or mm. I'm a book nerd, or I'm different, or I'm an introvert, mm. or I don't, I don't want to have conversations that just talk about small talk. I still don't want to do that. I want to have deep conversations or Wonderful. I'm blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> um, to be honest, it was a lot of work leading up to that. And then this year solidified it with a really strong group of people who were doing a lot of inner work and we did a lot of meditation, a lot of self-love. Um, it was like, and, and then I did this thing by Peter Levine. He has a book called Healing Trauma. Mm. And I realized the reason I didn't feel connected was from some traumatic things that happened to me when I was younger. Um, abusive things that were hard for me to really, not with my parents, but, you know, I think every woman has, maybe men too, but we have some issues where we could be really hurt by by men, by masculine figures. And that is what happened to me from rape to molestation to abuse. And I finally found the book, the act, the thing. And when I started doing the practices, so much trauma released and I my defenses came down and I truly realized I so belong and that it was just my own self trying to keep me safe. The reason we don't feel we belong is because we're trying to keep ourselves safe. Even the extra weight I carry, which is now starting to fall off because I have healed the trauma. Mm. The extra weight I have carried is a form of protection. People can't get too close. Mm. I won't be too attractive. It's all these things I didn't want to be because of the trauma that happened to me when I was younger, which was mm. sexual abuse. So the book is Peter Levine. It's called Sexual Healing, and there's one called Healing Trauma. And he has this activity where you reclaim your body. And at first, it sounded really cheesy, but my sister and I, going to Montana for my 30, 43rd birthday, we decided to give it a go. We listened to it. She has also, I don't think she would mind me saying this, she was a victim of rape at 14 by a family friend. And it was, she thought she was over it, but you know, you think you're over it because it's you're not thinking about it, but I would say women and men, if you're not feeling like you're included, if you're having addiction issues, whether to alcohol, porn, food, what else can you be addicted to? Drugs, Cigarettes. meth. Yeah. You know, my little, my bro younger brother and sister both drug, meth, and heavy addiction. Mm. My middle sister, alcohol, me, food. All results of trauma, which we're all healing. We're all. I'm so grateful to be in my family yeah. because we all thought we are just addictive, crazy people. <laughs> and mm. now we're like, actually, we all experienced a lot of trauma yeah. from everything and we're healing that. Mm. And uh, so it was the book, Peter Levine, Sexual Healing. I did his reclamation practices with the body. And I feel like that was icing on the cake of a decade of self-love work, wow. if that makes sense. So it takes a while, you yeah. know, it's not like there was this one magic thing that I did that I'm like, I belong and everybody loves me and I'm super included now and I'll finally dare to be in a relationship or something. Um, yeah. So yeah. That's yeah. so good. Well, and I think, I think just touching on the male side of things, I think men typically go either probably more towards alcohol, but then also there's a lot of men that will 
go the strong way. Like mm-hmm. someone hurt me. Well, I'm either going to get physically strong. Totally. You know, yeah. or mentally like just I'm going to muscle through everything and like nothing's going to face me. Yeah. Like, I'm just stoic. And yeah. like that is also responding to that trauma. It is. And that's definitely like my go-to is like mental tenacity and, you know, that kind of stuff. So it, it just it's hard to be super bit. vulnerable. Yeah. It's hard to, I actually love it now. It's not that hard for me anymore. Yeah. I'm like, ask me anything. I'll tell you everything and I'll <laughs> yeah. tell you how it affected me. And I'll, I have great self-awareness and I'm only, if the, here's the thing about being in your forties. And this is what Oprah says too. So I believe her. She's like, you're just getting started. Like I truly feel like, a new Darcy, this new life is just getting started, but it Mm -hmm. comes from radical vulnerability. And the awesome thing, you know, I used to think all men were assholes. They weren't, they couldn't get in their emotion. They were violent. They only wanted sex. Like all of these things that were taught, men have a really hard box that they have to break out of just as much as women, you know, and, and that's where we have to that you know otherwise we're going to keep electing the president that we have that's such that's such a sign of toxic masculinity to me mm-hmm. and the fact that it, it the fact that he got elected actually shows me because usually the problem comes to a head before it's re- like the pimple gets the pus this is so mm-hmm. gross before it pops and is going to heal yeah. and i feel like this is a huge turn for men and women but for men to be like this is what we've attracted into our country because of wounded masculinity, because of egos that can't get Mm -hmm. bruised, because of all these defenses with men, you know, women too, women are maybe more apathetic or didn't really understand how to vote or, you know, women default often to letting men be in charge of politics, letting men be in charge of money. And this is what's happened. (laughs) So we all get to take responsibility for it, but Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's really powerful to find yourself a group of people, which I have now, um, who want to do the work, who will take weekends off and go together in the mountains and work through trauma and hug each other and be there and have love and acceptance and no judgment. Yeah, That's really powerful. Yeah. And men have been some of the greatest people who have helped me heal too. Oh, yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. How did you go about finding that? Because I'm a huge believer in uh, community and and especially I, I feel like a lot of creatives don't have that community. We're a bit like on an island a lot of times. Mm, like we'll have yeah. people in our lives that are our friends or whatever, but they're not necessarily in the same mindset. Yeah. Um, and how did you, because I'm sure that you were very intentional about who these people are and, you know, what they bring to the table. No, I just attracted it and oh. had a really good when you're ready, if you're ready now. Yeah. I mean, I invited you to it before the before the call. I said, come That's to true. Utah and join my group. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that okay. sounds like join my cult, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I just went, come have a meditation weekend. And yeah. uh when you're ready, it's gonna come. Okay. And you could be the you could be the start, you know, get mm. a group of people together for a book club, but yeah. get people who are willing to read a book like Sexual Healing and do Mm. the activities in it. You know, my sister and I were kind of embarrassed because one of the activities is really, it's like, it's like you touch your body and you're like, this is my hand and it belongs to me. And this is my arm and it belongs to me. And we're like, what is this? But when you go through trauma, you're, you disassociate from your body, which is why people 
aren't having fulfilling sex lives, why they're not having, you know, why they're not, why they're overeating sugar, why all these things is you're disconnected from your actual physical body or you're overworking it to become this Avenger, you know, and you're like totally tapping out your adrenal glands. Like it's really about doing the work. And so it could start with one person. You know, mm-hmm. I'm really lucky to have two sisters who have gone on the same journey. We have really like, I feel like we have traveled many lifetimes together. And this lifetime is really about learning self-healing, self-love, self-acceptance, mm-hmm. and having so much damn fun and knowing that we can bring in to our lives. Like we're all going to Scotland next year to do this like time travel outlander retreat in a castle. And that's just what we bring into our lives. You know, it's just, just who we are, but yeah, your community will form even just start with you when you just Mm -hmm. start with you and you start listening to like Ram Dass or somebody like that. Mm -hmm. He, although he has passed away last year, his teachings about oneness can start to make you feel more collective and then you're going to feel more outgoing and you're going to connect with other people or you're going to go to a yoga class and you're going to meet somebody else who loves Ram Dass and you're going to go for coffee and then you guys are going to grow the group. So it's, it's not like something where you just Google and like, where's my group? You become the vibration of the people you want to bring in. Mm, That's good. Yeah, Yeah. I know. I'm dropping so many fucking (laughs) truth bombs. Let's let's transcribe this. This is my book. Yeah. I'm going to write a book just from this. This is great. Everybody, please DM me on Instagram. Let me know what your favorite story was. Yeah. So I can hear it and yeah. uh, I'll know to put that in the book. <laughs> yeah, I um I mean, I'm I'm kind of doing something like that. Um next 2 weeks from now I'm going to Big Bend, which is like my favorite place in the world. Oh, awesome. Um, um, you know, it's just outside of Marfa. Have you been to Big Bend in Texas? No, no. It sounds it is, magical. It really is. It's the darkest sky um, in, I think, the lower half of the U.S. Whoa. Um, and, so you're, you're, and so we're doing a four-day uh, backpack trip, just going around the mountains. And um, so you just lay so there. Great. No tent, you know, just a sleeping bed and look up at the sky and at the night. And it's just you feel so small and you feel so insignificant, but yet you have a place. It's just magical. Really, really wonderful out there. Um, okay. I want to mm-hmm. track that next year I get to come okay. and do that with you guys, yeah. unless it's just a boys trip, but mm-hmm. I'm really good with just the guys. So, <laughs> and this is where it, it kind of comes back where I would have never thought that I could belong on your trip because I'd be like, I'm too out of shape. I don't have anything to offer. They're too young for me. Like all my reasons. And I'm like, no, I'll be in fucking good shape next year because things are, you know, everything's working with my body as I release the trauma. And I would love that experience. That sounds magical, magical. And you'll come to Utah and I'll show you some cool things here. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. You guys got some cool stuff. We have some cool stuff. Yeah, it's lots of white cool. people, but it's okay. <laughs> it is a lot of white people. <laughs> a lot of white people. Oh, Utah, Utah. <laughs> That's all right. Maybe it'll change. Uh, do you, what is, what is your biggest inspiration outside of your medium, do you feel? I love a lot of fashion. Um, mm-hmm. Even though I don't dress fashionably, like they, there was this Dior exhibit in Paris last year and it had maybe like 300 dresses. 
and just seeing the structural element of it. So I really like shapes and structures and textures. So I love architecture. I love, um, I'm not super into like modern design very much, but I love going to old, I think I just have an old soul. Like I I Mm. don't really like modern things. I love old rusty cottages, you know, off the coast of Ireland. And I love French chateaus. And just when I go into like, I've been in a really old um, Italian villa and just watching how they did the plaster um, paintings, you know, I, I saw in Milan, I never did it. I've been in Milan a few times and I finally got the ticket to go see the last supper Mm -hmm. and it's so preserved. And it's like, that was, and just like the last supper and the composition and the color. And Mm -hmm. that was really powerful sculpture, Rodin museum in Paris. I mean, I find it everywhere. I find it in, I was literally consider buying this like $80 bowl from a ceramicist yesterday. I'm like, this is just a soup bowl and I'm willing to pay $80 for it because it's beautiful and it's not just like an Ikea soup bowl, which I have and they're great. But I love, I love, um, I'm really into like Gustavian furniture. I I bought this vitrine, which it was $10,000, which is like the most expensive piece of the like I bought it when I bought this house because it belonged. It was a huge, scary investment for me. And now sure. it's just like this huge heirloom and it ha- mm. I'm looking at it right now. That's why I'm looking over here. It's just like gorgeous and it's the perfect rustic color and it's Swedish minimalism design. And mm. yeah, I find inspiration everywhere from the white roses that are in my backyard to the way like this house is really inspiring. It has this epic staircase with this hand hand hammered like railing that was made with care and the windows are all old glass pieced together piece by piece with metal and you know they're like a hundred years old which is not that old compared to Europe but the cobblestone streets in Soho like just thinking about how those were laid um everything every I find it everywhere I could find it in this chapstick (laughs) I don't know like just I find it I I love I love, I go to museums a lot. Um, mm. I walking around my neighborhood. So I live in a three, three block radius where there was like this architectural contest back oh. in the thirties. And the contest was every house got to look like a little German or French or British chateau. Wow. So and cool. so there's so many like turrets and Tudor and like weird brick patterns and epic front doors and mm. big windows. Like, I walk around my neighborhood every day and I'm inspired by architecture and I like take little photos of different ones because I'm going to design my own big house one day Mm. just to have a big old kitchen and farmhouse and all this stuff. And yeah, I find it everywhere, everywhere. I love that. Except for reality TV. I don't find it there. Thank you. I don't watch (laughs) reality TV. I don't. I've never seen The Bachelor. Uh, I mean, I watched one episode because now I know somebody who was from there, but uh, I just, it's not my thing. I think, I think phones, the reason I stopped becoming a school teacher is when the cell phone and reality TV were invented, the entire dynamic between teacher and student changed and the student started losing attention span even more. They started losing trust and privacy. I've, I had several students like film me while I was teaching without my knowledge, which was really felt really invasive. Um, and then they like put it up on Facebook and I saw a video of myself and I'm like, I mean, I was 
just teaching a lesson, but I'm like, I didn't even know that was being taken. This was years ago. And yeah. I felt really weird by that when reality TV came, like this more kind of cutthroat, weird, like Jersey Shore mentality, like just mm-hmm. where ignorance started to be uh, idolized. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it was really fun to be ignorant. Like I still am not quite sure what's happening with the Kardashians in our world, but mm-hmm. this whole thing of like, you can actually change the whole way you look as a human and it's encouraged. I find that all, that does not inspire me. No. Injections, face me. injections, plastic surgery. I, I just, I, I want to live in a world where I can grow old very gracefully. And uh, I will be the only one without Botox, I guess. I mean, these 24-year-old girls are getting Botox. I'm like, why? What could you possibly have as a wrinkle? I don't understand. It's all mindset. I'm 43. I look younger than a lot of Uh 24-year-olds. But it's a mindset. I don't know. It's really weird. And I stay out of the sun. I'm being super judgmental right now. (laughs) Well, and I think I one of the first things that I told uh, my wife uh, so we met whenever I was 13, started dating at 14. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. Crazy, crazy. kids. <laughs> um, but one of the first things that I told her was, I think your mom is really attractive. <laughs> and like, she was an older woman. Um, well, not really. But <laughs> was she my age? Four, was she my age? For <laughs> a 14 year old. <laughs> she seemed old, right? Um, but I, I, I love, I mean, yeah. There's not an appreciation for elderly beauty or like gracefully, el- you know, you know what I mean? Yeah, not like, elderly, just what? <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, even, even there's some, there's some 80 year olds that are just absolutely oh, yeah. gorgeous. Yeah. And because yeah. they haven't done all this like awful stuff to them, like uh, Tim Allen, <laughs> I don't know why that came to my brain. Like the home <laughs> improvement guy? <laughs> yeah. You know what he used to look like? If you Google him, you're going to be so mortified. Like he has just like completely destroyed his face. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's a so weird, sad. It's a weird place. You know, I try not to judge because, but I do, I do judge. I'm sure. judging now. <laughs> I'm judging now. I, my sister is in the beauty industry. And so she has lots of women who come and get the lip injections and the eyebrow lifts and boob jobs and hair extensions and, they feel really beautiful that way. I I just think it can get to like if you do it like J Lo. I know J Lo's probably had some work. She looks good, but it can it can get out of control. It can become another addiction, right? Yeah. So when you overdo it, or you don't even look like yourself, so true. That's just a really interesting thing about humanity to look at. I get so curious. Like, mm-hmm. is it a low self esteem issue? What is it? Why? And it can't, I, I'm getting a little insecure about crow's feet or something. And it's just like, I have to do more inner work and allow mm. myself to have wrinkles. Like just be like, Darcy, you can, you can have wrinkles. It's okay. And to realize, you know, when I photograph people, I love expressive people. I love mm. photographing people with some wrinkles. Oh, I don't want to Photoshop all of these out. I don't want to air touch everything. And I tell my clients that I'm not going to air touch. Like if you have a zit, sure, you know, but I'm not going to make you look like not yourself. Right. And I think that there's something really beautiful in, in capturing an honest portrait. 
without all the photoshopping. I just, and I just was too lazy to learn how to do that. I don't want to. It's I know that's an excuse too. I'm like, I don't want to sit in front of a computer and figure out how to make your eyes look bigger and your butt smaller. And I don't know. I just don't want to. But I also think there's an art of learning angles. Mm, and, mm. you know, my camera right now is, I don't know if this is only audio, but my camera is at a very good angle for me. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I know my angles. I know yeah. how to make myself look good. It's not about not allowing yourself to be your highest self. But I just think it's an interesting thing to look at why you're getting it. And if you're getting it with all the, you know, all the self-love and you're just like, I'm just going to do this because it's my body, go for it. But if you're doing it because you're super insecure and you don't feel like you, people love you and you're always hard on yourself and you're always telling yourself you're ugly and which I know is the dialogue in a lot of women's head. That's the concern. That's where I want to get to because I want that self-love revolution. And then if you love yourself and you still, like my sister loves herself like crazy, she still likes a little lip injection, you know? Uh, I won't tell which sister. I have many and you'll never know. But like, you know, and and she and I have had that conversation. Are you doing it because, she's like, I'm doing it because I freaking love the way I look. And she has a very good lip injector yeah. and hers never look insane. And, right. you know, it's it's that conversation. Why are we doing it? Yeah. What's the f- motivation behind it? If you're doing it because you hate yourself and you hate the way you look, right. that is something I just want to have a hug and talk to you about and <laughs> not feel that. But yeah. yeah. That's good. Uh, yeah, I, I think there it, with everything that we do, right? Like I have, I have a jacket that I think I look great in. Like it, I, I love the way that I look in it, and so it just gives me like a little bit more confidence or whatever. And mm-hmm. there, there's I, like, why do we buy clothes? Like we buy clothes that fit us well, and like you know. There's reasons why we do these things. But if if it comes to like this very obsessive, like I can't wear something that doesn't make me look the way these other things look. Mm. Like, like this doesn't look like what I'm wearing is like boring as hell. But, you know, I, I'm wearing it. So <laughs> I don't think it's boring as hell. I mean, it's just, it's a t-shirt. What are you going to do? You know, yeah, that's true. <laughs> what did you want to show up in a full tuxedo? What, what would I mean, your outfit have been today <laughs> to not be boring? I'm very curious about this. this okay. I don't know where this conversation is going, but I no. want to know I'm wearing top okay. hat, bow tie. Oh, no, no walking stick. I'm, um, I like layers a lot, but it's yeah. not, not, um, so, you know, lots like of layers. Cardigan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then cardigans are really good. Like, yeah. Yeah. They just need to look like they just got off a sailboat, like a white knit cable knit sweater, scruff. Yeah. I also (laughs) write romance novels. So I'm already forming a character right now. (laughs) Have you, have you published any? Um, I have, I haven't, but I've finally with Amazon, I think I'm going to, but I am not going to do it under my name. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to well, make up a name. <laughs> let me know your pseudonym. All right. All right. I, I I'm, I'm also very, like, I'm a writer as well. And so oh, okay. I'm, I'm interested in other people. Okay. Yeah. Especially I've, whenever I've they do work. Yeah. Especially like, I, I love, I love people that have multiple things. Like they're mo- very multi-passionate. Well, I think that's how you do bring in more money. If you're just a wedding photographer during COVID, mm. it's really tough, right? Yeah. So having that, I 
I was just writing these, you know, for my own fantasy's sake. And then I went to a writing retreat in Florence, Italy last year and met a woman who lives in Ireland and makes all of her money off of writing romance novels and self-publishing them off of Amazon. And she makes a pretty good living. And I was like, you know what? Sign me up. Like I'm, I could write those all day long. I have a million stories in my mind and a very active imagination and (laughs) in. I'm in. That sounds <laughs> Can't so shoot good. weddings. I'm gonna write some romance. <laughs> yeah, that that's a great, that's a great way to because uh, there's so many. I'm I'm very multi passionate. I'm all over the place, and that sometimes can be a little bit hard to wrangle, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, for making money, you gotta not. Everybody talks about niching down and things like that, but. Maybe you niche down, but then you also have down, multiple niches. You niche down in multiple places. Yeah. You know, I started as a wedding photographer and niched that and then did education. Well, I did workshops. I really niched having an experience for people. I'm going to start niching down my writing and the books and publishing romance novels. Like, I love it. Not where you have to overdo too much, but I think, I think you niche... Um, but, you know, I always, always, like no matter how many weddings I took, I always made sure I was making 50K in commercial work mm. so that if all the weddings went away, I could still live off of that because I could go. live off of 50K a year because I did it for 14 years as a school teacher. And right. so it's about having those plans, you know, those, yeah. those making sure you make those connections too and not putting so much in, not like the commercial jobs I did were not for big people. It was for like a university in Utah. Yeah. My pictures were on the side of a bus of like students walking down the hallway, holding yeah. books. I never showed a single one, but yeah. it paid really well. Yeah. And it was, it was all digital and it was easy for me and yeah. it was good money. So yeah. that's, yeah. That's the other you can't be thing. so tied to your art that you exactly. won't charge for it or you will think it's below you to take headshots for a university. <laughs> and I've seen have, artists do that. And They have the money. They do. They have so much money. Yeah. And they even, I remember when I was working there, they were like, we have a $25,000 budget for photography in this department. So I worked for like many different departments. And they're like, if we don't use it for the year, it, it's gone. So I remember the last year they're like, let's the, the drama department's doing a play about cancer. Let's photograph cancer survivors from the university huh. in a really artistic way. Let's, let's photograph them with the thing that they attribute to helping them survive cancer. Yeah. And then let's put it up in a gallery and do a gallery show. And I got to do that. They had $8,000 left in their budget. I got paid eight grand to come in and photograph these like 14 cancer survivors, which Amazing. was really, really powerful. And, you know, that actually turned out to be a really important job because, you know, the next year two two different people had relapsed and had passed away and their family was like, this were, these were the only portraits, wow. you know, that we had taken That's of so them. Good. And there, it's just those, those images turned out to be a great blessing to everybody who we took them. It had, it was my, it was a huge gallery show in the, in the university. Everybody who saw the play saw the art and, and they just did it because they had leftover money. (laughs) They're like, we have leftover money. What do we do with this? And that funded me. I made eight grand in December and then I took February off and just went and 
played around in on the Gold Coast in Australia with my friends because I because eight grand is a lot of money to to me when I used to be yeah. a school teacher and make like three thousand a month after working forty hour weeks and right. giving my heart and soul. I was like, oh my gosh, I could just go to I can go to Australia for a whole month yeah. and nothing it will be fine. Like crazy, crazy. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. There's, um, I've done some work for a bank and well, they have all of the money, um, you know, banks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, they do. <laughs> I did. I, I will affirm this. <laughs> I was waiting uh, for the, the, <laughs> the other part of the story, but yes, banks have all the money. I do know that. And we're small. All I had to do, it was the easiest job and the most, like the most I've been paid for such an easy job was mm. drive around to all their locations and just snap. Yeah. Photo of the location. It was nice. so easy. That's awesome. And it was just like, man, I, why have I not been doing this? Like it is, it is definitely the like, well, I'm an artist and that is not art, you know, but yeah. like, Every artist has to have commissions where they're maybe doing something that they don't want to do, but you know it it helps them create the art that they want to create. It does. Like I encouraged people when Airbnb was starting, it was like Ooh. go take photos for Airbnb. They got paid a really good paycheck. I did some commercial, like just real estate shoots. I worked for an I in New York when I moved there. I didn't have any connection. So I did Thumbtack, which is where people can post really cheap jobs and you take it. And I got this $300 headshot session and she turned out to be the head of an architect firm. She ended up hiring me back to do all the headshots for her office, which I got paid way more for. I would have never done like a $300 headshot fee, but I was like, you know, this, whatever, it's going to be an hour. It's worth it. It's grocery money. And then she hired me to go around New York and take, um, historic architectural photos for them to have on file. And it was so fun. I just like zipped around the city, got to, and I looked up and saw all this beautiful architecture I hadn't seen before. I got to know the history. I was getting paid for it. Mm. She was a delightful, like badass woman who had been in the architecture world and with all the men in New York for 30 years. And I just freaking loved her. And you just never know what jobs will turn into um, especially if you're going into it with service and like problem solving and stuff and not just, yeah. oh, I'm not going to shoot a headshot session for 300. Now, if you only shoot headshot sessions for 300 because you don't think you're worth more money, that's where you have to work at. But if you're being scrappy and you're kind of taking those opportunities and turning them into more opportunities, yeah. that's where you can become a wealthy artist. There you go. Mic okay. drop. Yeah. There's, I I mean, you've dropped the mic like how many times? (laughs) It's definitely destroyed at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have an unusual habit or an absurd thing that you love? Oh my gosh. I knew you were going to ask this. Well, I, uh, I love the word absurd. What is absurd? What is the definition of absurd? I mean, I I saw this question and I was racking my brain. Um, I do weird things like learn languages so I can speak them. So I like learned Welsh, right? And nobody knows Welsh. Or I learned Malaysian before I went to, um, or Indonesian before I went to Indonesia. So that's not really a habit or absurd. I collect books 
to a horrific degree. Um, it's absurd the amount of books I have in my house, like <laughs> truly absurd. Um, I don't know. What what have people told you? I'm curious what you've okay. heard. Like, what are the, oh, I have a weird obsession with The Rock, like very, oh. it's very true and not at all made up. I really love that man. Yeah. Um, did, did you hear about his, um, the uh, people were like wanting him to go for president? Oh, yes, we all do. Still, I think I have the t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rock and Oprah, right? I think, I think, I think that's the great. ticket. I know. It would be amazing. Yeah. It would be amazing. Nobody would yeah. mess with us. Yeah. Also. Everybody like, would just fall in love. He's yeah. like Obama, but 200 pounds heavier and <laughs> amazing. So what Pure are absurd muscle. things that people have said? Um, let's see. Um, I had one guy that was obsessed with um, uh, making grilled cheeses. Oh. So he was like, got super into just all these like minute oh, variables. I want to I meet him. I, know. <laughs> I yeah. love grilled cheese. Okay. That's amazing. Um, mine that um, one of mine is when I take a shower, uh, I've done this since I was like 15. So when I take a shower, I'll bend my body, you know, in half. So I'm like, uh-huh. you know, like kind of like stretching my back or whatever. Uh-huh. And then I'll just stay like that for like a minute or two and just watch the rivulets come down my skin. Oh, that's really um, nice. And it, I think it's weird. I don't think okay. most people do that. Um, I had a shower that had these crystal, like these weird light squares. And every time I showered, it would cast like a million rainbows on my body. Amazing. That was you just really awesome. <laughs> that was... That was awesome. Um, I do have an obsessive uh, need to see like every Broadway show on oh, Broadway. Okay. And I do a lot of singing that people oh. might not know about. I sing in my house quite often. In fact, I will reenact entire musical numbers. Um, I have been front row to see most major Broadway openings. I paid an obscene amount of money to see one of Lin-Manuel Miranda's last performances in Hamilton in New York. Um, And that was one of the most mesmerizing experiences I've had as a human because people knew, one, people had paid an obscene amount of money to be there because tickets were going for like two grand. I refreshed the ticket thing every day because I was living in New York and just waiting for somebody to sell it really cheaply who hadn't and cheaply in $2,000 standards. So I found one for $650 and I like bought it, ran down there, rushed down there, had like 15 minutes to get down there. And there's this line, do you know Hamilton the musical? Mm -hmm. Okay. So there's this line as soon as Hamilton comes out, he's like, Hamilton, my name is Alexander Hamilton. Right. And he got up on stage and he said, Hamilton. And then the whole audience erupted and like stood and cheered for four minutes. Oh my gosh. And he was bawling because he had three performances left. And the I started bawling. The whole audience was bawling. And it was, it was like thousand, I don't know, 2,000 people in that theater. Yeah. It is still one of my favorite moments with humanity that I've ever experienced. And then the applause finally died down. The whole cast was like so moved. And and then he kept singing. And I, 
I have never paid such close attention to something because I paid so much money. Other, you know, I've won tickets to musicals for like 25 bucks. When I was a student, you can get student tickets, $28, rush tickets. But we all have paid so much freaking money to be there Mm -hmm. that we were riveted on every line, every word, this beautiful artistic. So maybe it's absurd to spend that amount of money on a ticket. Many people have thought I have, I was absurd to do that. Like, that's insane. $650, you know, like my dad could never wrap his brain about it. To me, I'm like, that's half of one family shoot. I charge $1,500 for a shoot. This is worth it, you know? And uh, so art and live musical theater, like if I did, I taught musical theater before I was a photographer. I directed, I directed musicals. So I know probably every musical, I know all the, all the songs, I sing them all. I have no idea, like, what modern music is all about. I'm always like, who are these people? What's happening in the club? I don't know. So I guess I am a little old. But even when I was 20, I was this way. I was like, I just want to sing Guys and Dolls. So (laughs) I will say that is, I I absurdly spent a lot of money going to the theater. You're still a theater geek. Yeah, totally. good. That's the best club to be in. Right. Really good club. Yeah. The Glee Club, for sure. (laughs) I love it. That's so wonderful. I am... We had talked um, at Hybrid one time about doing karaoke together. Is that something that you still enjoy doing? Oh, I love it. I do a really good Adele. I do a really good Blondie. Okay. Yeah. I have like some signature pieces. Unfortunately, I sound like a Disney princess in a lot of them. So I do the Disney songs really well, which makes me very upset as a feminist. (laughs) I don't know why. But um, yeah, I, I, I love, love, love. Love. Yeah. Karaoke. We need to do karaoke. Yes, absolutely. My go-to is I, I like to get ACDC like right out. Just, okay. Just go ahead and blow my voice out for the rest of the night. <laughs> and so then you're it, all rough and hoarse. <laughs> yeah. And then it and then it warms up. And then I can do my Tom Waits stuff. So. Nice. Nice. <laughs> all right. It's a date. Let's yeah. go. Maybe next year at hybrid or in New York has great little Oh little- sure little places utah's a little trickier for karaoke unfortunately yeah Yeah. not as many little rooms to you know they just they don't they don't treasure it like they do in new york but yeah there's something therapeutic about like going back to like you love singing i really think that um i think people should sing more there's something so therapeutic about just like letting it all out And it uses your throat chakra, which is all about your personal voice and it strengthens it. And then you're more able to speak your mind when you sing. If you use this, you become better at speaking your opinion in your mind. Even just singing, it strengthens. We'll get super hippie and, you know, the next interview can be all about chakras. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm very intrigued now. Energy sources in the body, seven of them. Yeah. Okay. Wow. I love it. Yeah. Cool. Well, Darcy, thank you so much for being on. Thank you so much. And thank you for being patient with my Pomeranian. He's an asshole. <laughs> and he he was supposed to go to doggy daycare today and I didn't wake up early enough to take them. So okay. he's outside barking right now at the neighbors. It's great. They love me. <laughs> <laughs> and we are at the end. If you like this show that I do or whatever, you can um, rate and review it if you like. It's um, 
it's free it's um it only takes a couple minutes i don't know if you want to do that but if you do you can okay um (laughs) darcy is at darcy benincosa that is d a r c y b e n i n c o s a on instagram and uh her website is darcy benincosa if you're interested in coaching or uh, you know getting better at marketing or hiring career for your wedding you can do all those things there uh, I am at Sasquatch Mansfield. This podcast is at the Film Photography Podcast. Our music was written and produced by the incredible Ross Graham. If you need anything music-wise, he'll be your huckleberry. Our wisdom this week comes from Renee Brewery, who said, uh, for, for young photographers, you have to go out and uncover things that nobody else is thinking about. Put your nose in things. Till next week. Be well, do good work, stay disciplined.